everybody, and welcome into a Monday edition of the Joe Beaver Show and what should be a very busy week. And I think, John, with respect to the guests that we have confirmed, I think a pretty exciting one. Confirmed with Bill Walton for sure tomorrow, so much so that he, he texted this morning just to say, <laughs> I mean, that that's a guy who's preparing. I, I don't know what he does or how he does his thing. That would be... That would be interesting in its own right, his stack of books on Oregon history and geography and Lewis and Clark and so on over here on to his right to the left, maybe yeah. a few basketball notebooks here and there. But but Bill will join us at 12.05 tomorrow. I reached out to Mike Remmers, both with a congratulatory text late last night and then this morning, and he said he's getting his schedule today for the week, and he says by midweek I should be able to, to jump on the show. So the starting right tackle last night, but he may be <coughs> swung over to left tackle with an injury to the Chiefs' left tackle in the game. He's so versatile, and he learned much of that versatility at Oregon State playing for Mike Cavanaugh. Mike Remmers, who joined us, as you pointed out last year, we expect to have again sometime midweek. And Friday, we're closing in on a conversation with uh, Harold Reynolds. Harold and the whole tribute on Friday to to Henry Aaron was so eloquent and has spent so much time with, has spent so much time with Hammering Hank at all-star games in the World Series in recent years that he just he would be a perfect guy to talk to not only about Hank but about all of the legends in the great game that we've lost here in the year 2020 and into 2021 that pace doesn't seem to be slowing down at all for the legends of the game and the Hall of Famers and Harold I'm sure has had interaction with uh, many, if not all of them, and stories to share. But his thoughts were so eloquent, so well stated. Uh, it, it's been a long time. It doesn't happen that often, John. Twice in my life, when I think about baseball greats, twice now, I have come upon tears somewhat unexpectedly, surprised by tears with a variation on a theme going to Cooperstown in 1993 and when I got to Babe Ruth's area yeah and just looking at a bat Babe Ruth used in the 1927 season looking at well I, I just I, I just thought oh my gosh and teared up in yeah. front of the, and yeah. had no it wasn't expecting that just kind of reaction around, no. oh that's cool hey, whoa yes oh. and then the news Friday, and the subsequent tributes that began to pour in for Hank on MLB with Harold and Tom Verducci and others on that on that show, it just was surprisingly emotional in that I was not like Kerry Eggers, who wrote a beautiful column, kerryeggers.com, about uh, his love for Henry Aaron and his love for the Braves. He was never... A personal favorite in the sense that Fernando or Don Sutton right. or Willie others Mays. were, or even Willie Mays, yeah. to hit home more personally in that way. But just to he- begin to hear people talk about Hank's life, his grace and dignity and class, the way he carried himself, all the things he persevered through, 
the MLB Network did a, a tremendous job on Friday with the, the glowing tributes and well-deserved, almost impossible to have hyperbole about Hank Aaron. And we, we have a new show on Clue AM on Sundays called the Dr. Bob Martin Show. It runs 4 to 6 in the afternoon, and it's delayed, so you can't really call in and stuff, but it's a really good show, actually. And I was listening to it yesterday, and he was talking about Hank, uh, because it was his favorite as a kid, older doctor and, you know, waxing poetic and, and everything. He was saying that that Hank Aaron and, and one other person, I can't remember, were in Atlanta, I believe it was, and went two weeks ago to get a, a, a vaccine for the sole purpose of showing everyone else, especially in the African-American community, that it's okay hmm. and was perfectly healthy leading up to it hmm. got the vaccine and then was was going kind of on a little mini tour saying hey i feel great got the vaccine wow. it's all good as a as a uh, almost a public service mm-hmm. announcement and then he died from covid19 hank did yes is that what that's what they are attributing the call i that i know there heard. wasn't a there isn't a um autopsy result or anything like that but it's listed as dying from covid19 I did not know that. I didn't either, and I thought, "Wow, that's interesting." It and that's is. not anything that came out in the in the regular news. No, no, I hadn't heard that, John. Yeah, that's interesting. And it's a it's doctor sad. show; it's not a political show, right. so it isn't anything along those lines. Mm-hmm. And I thought, uh, if that comes out to be true, that's really, really sad. Well, yeah, because I, they said it, how how vibrant he was mm-hmm. prior. You know, just no, weeks I, prior. You bring up something I I have yet to hear or yeah. read about. Uh, to be honest, I haven't read a great deal since Friday. Uh, I spent a lot of time. We talked about Hank on the show. But that is that is interesting. Harold Reynolds, uh, we expect to join us Friday. That's when he said his best day this week would be to jump on the show with us to talk about Hank and, and unfortunately, all the other names, the great names and figures in the history of baseball. So that's a good week, John, if, we, if we're able to catch up with all of them. And today is also very good And that, coming up in a few minutes, Dan Belwamini, the former USF head coach, longtime analyst for Pac-10, Pac-12 basketball, we don't hear Dan as much as we used to, but he was pressed into duty, and he still calls games. We'll find out exactly what his schedule entails these days. But Dan was pressed into emergency duty Saturday night at the studios in San Francisco for the 355th rivalry game that the Beavers won impressively, mm-hmm. 75-64, to out-rebounding Oregon 42-23. to I mean, I... <laughs> Nobody gets no. Oregon never gets out rebounded like that. I would submit, and I haven't gone through Dana Altman's eleven years, game guy by game, box score by box score, but I think you could probably count on one hand, even if you were three fingered Mordecai Brown, and come up with how many times he's had a team out rebounded by nineteen. Well, it was beautiful to watch. Doug pointed out, too, they may have been missing Duarte and Figueroa, but didn't they have their front line? For the most part, yes. It, it, 
They're an undersized team to begin with, but they play above their size just in terms of their their athleticism and their their leaping ability. Yeah. They had a, a high plus margin in rebounding going into the game, and the Beavers just overwhelmed them on yeah. the boards. They, it, it was like beautiful they, to watch. I know it was. Gosh. It was great. I mean. You know, there weren't that many offensive rebounds available in the first half. They they finally got something going a little bit in the second and, and eradicated a 13-point deficit and was almost a, uh-oh. Yeah. You know, you, you yeah. build the lead, you let them back, and the Beavers then went on a run to push it back up to nine quickly from yeah. a tie. They're up 13, get caught at 34, and then just a wave, a yeah. rush of, of – Transition baskets, a follow dunk by Alatiche that still reverberates. One of the great plays I've seen oh, this year turned oh, in by only a guy, a, an elite athlete like that. It brought Jared Cunningham type memories yeah. to mind about the kissing the sky dunk that Calabro called when Jared also followed a, a shot with a massive dunk at Gill. This was this was an impressive throwdown. I expected to see it. On Sports Center later with Neil Everett in the top ten, and he would have made some allusion to celebrating it at the Peacock if it was open, <laughs> something to that effect, like yeah. he always does. But they didn't have it. I'm surprised because and the plays they had, I watched them. There were some nice dunks and yeah. plays, but I still think the Alatiche dunk should have made their top ten. It was amazing. It was great. It was yeah. great. And it was a fun game to watch and. Mm-hmm. And uh, Oregon State seemed to be in control the whole way. I, you know, I'm never, I'm always nervous, especially when you, you, I've seen leads, we've all seen leads evaporate. And speaking of that, the Blazers up 25 and win by three. Hang on. Hang on. Jamie Hudson, by the way, Blazers insider for NBC Sports Northwest, reporter, online content extraordinaire. We haven't talked to Jamie for a long time. It's been four or five years, I think. But she'll join us just to reflect on that game. Yeah. Damien's wife giving birth to twins. Damien going out with 39 and didn't miss a shot till the third quarter, from what I understand. So, Jamie Hudson and, at 1230. And, and just for fun, listen to this exchange. All right. Um, Coach, I've got a question. Go Did for you it, put your hand up? Did you put your raise your hand up? You know, Terry, I... I pressed the raise your hand button, but I don't think it's working. Okay, whatever. <laughs> Who was that? I don't know. Say, uh, I don't know. Play it again one more time. Okay, I have yeah. to reset yeah, it. No, it's all right. Okay, do that. Okay, okay. ready? I'll play it one yeah. more time. Now, this this was after a question. Terry Stotts answered the question, mm-hmm. and then this okay this interviewer interlocutor sounds like Justin Myers chimed in. They chimed okay. in. Okay. All right. Um, Coach, I've got a question. Go for it. Put your hand up. Did you put your raise your hand up? You know, Terry, I I pressed the raise your hand button, but I don't think it's working. Okay, whatever. (laughs) He goes on. So anyway, my question is: when you have a big league, like a big lead, like you had tonight, and it comes down to the last minute, do you ever catch yourself thinking, why does this have to go down to the last minute? You know, uh, yes and no. Uh, then he goes on to answer it and says that you know other yeah. teams in the league are having that same issue. Um, I think it might be Joe Becker. Maybe Joe Becker. Yeah, it sounds like him. There's and then, the and Becker, then at the Becker beginning, Arian. the 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 coordinator person says, "Listen briefly." He says, "Go ahead, Joe. Listen yeah, for that." Oh, okay. All right, um, Coach, I've got a question. 
Go for it, Joe. Did you put your raise your hand up? Go go for it, Joe, he says. Yeah, that's Joe Becker. So Joe's been up there longer than anybody. And he's got to know him. He said, whatever. And he goes on. He's just contentious. He's contentious. Okay. Well, we'll talk to to Jamie and see if even with Jamie he can be contentious. Jamie Hudson will join us at 1230 to talk a little Blazer basketball along the way. We have open phone opportunities, open texts, as always. would love to get your thoughts about Super Bowl 55, about the avalanche of criticism. It's so funny to me, John, that all of us, and Romy talked about it with one of his guests, that the entire world can say, what in the world were the Packers thinking not going for the touchdown and settling for three? Because every voice I've heard just so... Again, when that happens, it makes me pull back and say, well, there must have been some reason that led the Packer coaching staff to decide, let's get three out of this. It's so wrong. By Everybody says that's so wrong. It's so defeatist. It's not trusting Aaron Rodgers. It's why Aaron it right, was so right. funereal and somber and solemn after the game, and he's going to leave because of things like that, and he and he's never more down after a loss than except maybe 35-21 against the Beavers in 2003. <laughs> but, it, Again, it makes me just wonder, how can they, the, the, the Packer Brain Trust, not see it when everybody else in the world knows they should have gone for a touchdown? Well, so maybe maybe not. Maybe the Packers staff is thinking, well, eight or nine yards or whatever they needed there, we can get the three. We're got, we got to score again anyway. So they put it in the hands of their defense and never got the ball back. You're assuming a couple of things. You're assuming that the Packers staff – all agreed to do that. <laughs> it might have been just just the head coach. Uh, that's the the one article I read. There's only one person uh, quoted on that, and that's the head coach. And Aaron Rodgers very vehemently said, "It's not my call. I didn't make that call." Yeah, he vehemently said it. According to some, he didn't want to throw Lafleur under the bus totally. It's kind of like, I get it. he. I think he tempered it. He didn't just say, that was a terrible decision and uh-huh, it wasn't my uh-huh. decision. It wasn't vehement. It was tentative in saying, well, it wasn't my decision. He did quality, you know, but I understand it is what he said. But you could tell that that I've, was being as kind as possible to yeah, his head coach. I think he was trying to help him out. Yeah. Jeff Fisher was on with Clay Travis this morning, former Nashville yeah. Titans coach, and he tried to be as nice as he could. But he second-guessed it, yes, too? Yes, of course. Okay. Of course. Yeah, I, you, coaches often will have other coaches' backs. Yeah. But I don't hear anybody really having Matt LaFleur's back on that decision. And I'm just wondering if anybody out there – it's so easy now to say, oh, what a terrible decision. Were any of you, from whatever perspective, Packer fan, neutral <laughs> fan, oh, okay, yeah, they, they got to get the ball back well, and we'll trust the defense. The problem with it, I felt, was – Go ahead and go for it. You're going to need to, if you don't get it, they are backed up. At the time, I was yeah. thinking, and Dave and I, we should have had a textual exchange to prove what I was thinking at the time. <laughs> we texted off and on during the game, Tom Water, and would love to get your thoughts now post-loss. And Aaron, do you feel like he's done as a Packer? That's the to- the the tone Rome had this morning and was intimating on it his sure show. like it. That's as somber and down as I've seen a guy yeah, in a long yeah. time. But 
I thought, no, you probably should go for this. And even if you don't get the two-point conversion and you put yourself in that stupid position and needing the two-point conversion by going for two way earlier in the game, what's going on in the world I, these I saw days? an article. What's I, going on? I, I saw a headline that talked about the two-point conversion, chasing the two, yeah. and, and, and it essentially being a problem and coaches weighing in. But what's going on, though? Because we are seeing more and more, John, weird, even, even with us, the Beavers, I feel like, Jonathan Smith, what I would call out-of-the-box or a little unusual, a little bit strange in nature. Some of Oregon State's yeah, uh, attempts at yeah. too early in games and when they're down or whatever, uh, I, or even I, just at all. Yeah, I, I don't. I'd like to sit with Jonathan someday. We don't get to do that anymore with anybody, right? And pick pick coach. Are they relying on well the analytics saying the percentages? We, I understand if you get it, you're within three. I get that. Yeah, but you. There's nothing wrong with how much time was left in the game being down 28-24. Field goal leaves you within a touchdown and a PAT, but that eight points put you in a position of not feeling comfortable about getting even a touchdown on fourth down because we'd also have to get the two-point conversion. So we can't get eight here. Let's go ahead and kick the three we know we can get. Right, right. And 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 early chasing two, yeah. tra- uh, chasing two-point conversions early, not only that, it's a psychological aspect. Yeah. You don't get it? Okay, fine. I remember one time Riley did that, chased it early in a game at Utah, and then had to get go for yes. a second time and didn't get it, and it was yeah. It, it just was like no, you. you mm-hmm. I don't understand. I don't get this. it either. With due respect to Tom Water, who has recovered enough to call us, let's ask Dave. Dave, if you can, call us at 12.05 out of the gate because we have Dan Belwamini up next. We want to have plenty of time to explore the various storylines from the Packers' uh, loss yesterday in uh, the NFC Championship game to Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. Want to get your thoughts about that, various decision-making. But we want to savor and enjoy the Beavers' win in the rivalry game. And we'll talk about it with the analyst on the game pressed into emergency duty when Don McClain and Ted Robinson ended up not being in Eugene. We had them both on last week on the show, as you may recall, and neither were in uh, Eugene. Ted and Dan Belwamini ended up working the game together from the studios in San Francisco. We'll talk to Dan Belwamini, the coach, next on 1240 Joe Radio. Does your financial advisor take the time to really listen to you? Is your financial strategy personalized for you and your family? Will your financial advisor be there as your life and financial situation change? Hi, I'm Sam Nestline, your local Edward Jones financial advisor. When we work together, we'll focus on what's important to you. We'll use an established process to create a personalized financial strategy backed by the advice, tools, and resources to help you reach your goals. And we'll partner to help you stay on track. Call me today, 541-753-4665. Edward Jones, Making Sense of Investing, member SIPC. Everybody plays. Everybody plays. Everybody plays. Play it again sports knows play. We sell and buy new and quality used sports and fitness equipment for less. And we pay on the spot. So everybody can play. Play it again sports wants to buy your used athletic equipment. The stuff you no longer need or want. Whatever you have, bring it in now for cash. Play it again sports. 
the official sponsor of all those who play. Play it again sports on 9th Street in Corvallis. Do you need to transfer an old video or film to a digital format? Wise Photo Printing can help. Need a passport or visa picture for virtually any country, including Canada? Wise Photo Printing can help. Do you need a high-resolution scan of a print, a negative, or a slide? Wise Photo Printing can help. There are self-service kiosks, too. Wise Photo Printing, open Tuesday through Saturday from 10 until 6 on 2nd Street next to the Peacock Tavern, downtown Corvallis, or online at wisephotoprinting.com. Wise Photo Printing. Helping you get it done. Everyone has an Uncle Fester in their life, that person who is nearly impossible to please. Well, take them to Woodstock's Pizza and they'll find exactly what they're looking for. Because Woodstock's Pizza is pizza for all. With over 35 fresh toppings to choose from, six different sauces, four different crust options, including cauliflower and gluten-free. Plus, vegan and dairy-free options, Woodstock's Pizza really is pizza for all. Woodstock's Pizza. They'll even please Uncle Fester on Kings Boulevard in Corvallis. This is Mike Parker for Evenflow Plumbing, your trusted award-winning plumber for the Mid-Valley. Evenflow specializes in complete plumbing and drain cleaning solutions for residential and commercial jobs. They treat your home like it's their home, and their flat-rate pricing means no surprises at the end of the job. Evenflow takes pride in doing the job right the first time. Just call 541-738-8853 for all your plumbing needs. When you need a pro, go with the flow. Even flow plumbing. Hi, this is Mike and Anderson Jewelers reminding you the gold and silver market is still strong, so I'm still buying old gold jewelry and watches. Right now I'm paying cash for 10, 14, and 18 karat gold jewelry, sterling silver, antique and estate jewelry, and of course Rolex and Omega wristwatches. Anderson Jewelers is a licensed and certified business buying old gold and silver in the city of Corvallis for 25 years. Need some extra cash? Stop by and see Mike today. Anderson Jewelers near the corner of 5th and Madison, downtown Corvallis. We continue on the Joe Beaver Show. Mike Parker with John Warren. Great to have you with us. And it was uh, so enjoyable on Saturday night to be able to, you know, I didn't go to Matthew Knight Arena either. The broadcasters of the game say. You sounded great. Well, thank you. No, it was, yeah, you it, sounded great, and so did they. And the telecast that any time the Beavers win a game, yeah, it's just go right home and watch it again. <laughs> if they lose, sometimes it takes me days. Not much of a drive. So no, good. that's true. So ten minutes later, I'm able to you know watch the Beaver win again, seventy-five to sixty-four. But I was surprised, to be honest with you, when I turned it yeah. on and I yeah. see the faces of Ted Robinson and Dan Belwamanina. We had visited with both Don McLean and right. Ted during the week on this show leading into uh, the game, the 355th rivalry game. And there there was Ted, a familiar uh, face and voice and frequent guest on the show. And there was a familiar face and voice, somebody we haven't talked to very often on the show but it's an honor to welcome him in, and a pleasure, as you were saying, John, because this is a voice we've yeah. heard throughout, you know, for many decades, watching and following Pac-10, Pac-12 even basketball. Even before when it was the old Root, or not even mm-hmm. Root, the old Prime, yeah. Prime Channel, and just Dan Bill Wamley, wow, I haven't yeah. heard him in years. That, that, that took me back to some good times. And let's bring Coach Dan Bill Wamley and the analyst on the game Saturday night in. Dan, thanks for taking time for us. And it wasn't something you were planning on either, from what I understand, but suddenly here you are yeah. calling the game. How did that come about, Dan? 
Well, Mike, uh, you, you know, uh, uh, Don McLean uh, was just not feeling well uh, Saturday morning and uh, decided it was best for him not, not to do the game. So, uh, you know, I got a call from the Pac-12 network and one thing and another and, and uh, said, are you available, which I was. So uh, just had to do a little bit of homework on, on uh, the beeves and the ducks, but that was pretty easy because I've seen them on, on television many times. And uh, that's how it came about. So we're all hoping Don's going to be fine and back soon. Uh, you know, he's just going through, uh, you know, I haven't talked to him. So I don't know exactly uh, what, what the issue is. But uh, as I said, uh, Don does a great job. And mm-hmm. I kind of filled in for him with Ted Robinson, who I've worked with for many, many, many years. And Ted and I are pretty familiar with each other. So that's how it came about. Dan, this is John. Had you done any any Pac-12 games or just watched them? Because your your analysis oh, no. with players was spot on. No, 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 no. I've done uh, for the Pac-12 Network. I've done, this is about I, I've done five or six already. Uh, I, I did one for Fox also. I did a, a Stanford Washington game, and uh, and I, I've done I've done some games. So you know, I was and I probably nobody watches basketball more than me. So I, I'm pretty familiar with with the conference and um, and obviously you know as you know don't. Uh, don't do as many games as I've done in the past, but I still really enjoy uh, doing it when I get the opportunity. So it was a lot of fun in the rivalry game. You know, Oregon, Oregon State brings me way back to all the years. How many Oregon, Oregon State games was I involved with? But it's always an exciting rivalry, and quite frankly, it was a great win for um, for Oregon State. You know, I know Oregon wasn't at full strength without Duarte and Figueroa and Richardson. You know, they're Three guys that are, are really really good players, but but uh, on the road uh, to go in there to uh, uh, to Matthew Knight uh, Arena and win, regardless uh, of what the situation is, is a, is a great win for Oregon State. And Dan, what did you think that win was built on? What were the things that happened that allowed the Beavers to win the game the way they did? A margin that we haven't seen in the series for a long time for the Beavers against uh, Oregon on the road or really anywhere. Yeah, I, I, I think Wayne may have found something, you know, with his team after the loss of Arizona because they really got thrashed, you know, uh, severely at home, and it was probably the biggest downtime for them. But they've come back to win three in a row, and I think I think the big thing um, for for Oregon State that I was impressed upon, I think they got off they got off to a pretty good start. You know, they they, they had a good start, a good feeling to, to start the game. Jared Lucas has been playing really really well, but. Alatiche is is uh, is something else. You know, we know he's not a great perimeter player, but man, this guy is an athletic. I can rebound the ball. I can run the floor. I can finish plays. I can do about everything else. He defends, and uh, and the other thing that happened, I thought, with Oregon State, Wayne used I think ten or eleven players in the first half, which was really surprising to me. Really, Andela came in and played well. Uh, uh, Kalu is a guy that comes in and gives you really solid minute uh, minutes, and and uh, even uh, Silva, who's a tough matchup. You know, mm-hmm. he's a big old guy in there, and he's a tough matchup. So, uh, it, it was a, to me, it was a real team effort. Uh, and and I can't say enough, by the way, about, about the way Ethan Thompson played in, in the second half. I I thought his second half was 
you know, and I haven't seen every Oregon State game like you have, but I would say that's probably as good a second half as he's played the whole year because he, he dominated the game, made all the right decisions. You know, he just he, he just seemed to be really in sync after not getting off to a very good start. So, uh, you know, I thought his, his play was sensational. Dan Belwamini joining us on the Joe Beaver Show. Coach, I don't know if your schedule allowed you to see the other wins in this three-game streak or parts of them over Arizona State and USC. All three have been intriguing in their own way, and they've kind of built on the other. I'm wondering just when you say he's found something since the Arizona game, did anything occur to you as you watched, if you did, the Beavers beat USC in that talented group? Yeah, right. And USC is one of the more talented teams in the league. There's no question about that. Um, I I just think that um, uh, here's what I I got mm-hmm. what I found out. I I think Wayne was so upset with the way they played against Arizona that he he indicated it was like a layup drill. It was like you know going out to practice and not having anybody defend anybody and just get let the other team just shoot layups. And he said. So I think he had a, a, a little bit of a, you know, a, a talking uh, point to his team. And they're defending better. Uh, they're working harder. Uh, and and I, I think he's given a little freedom to a guy like Lucas. I think, you know, you've got a great shooter there. And I think he and Reichel, and by the way, Reichel is, is not spectacular, but if you watch him the whole game, he doesn't make many mistakes. He just doesn't. Mm-hmm. And uh, and even uh, uh, Hunt, who has come in to, to make some three. So I just I just think they're they gelled. You know, it happens during the year, and sometimes it happens after a after an embarrassing loss. Uh, and you know, sometimes Arizona can make you look that way. But you just regroup. You find a, a little bit of a niche. You're playing more players. You're Playing better defense and and a guy like Warth, who Alatiche, who now all of a sudden has a tremendous amount of confidence. I mean, he had look at the rebound statistics in that game. To, to my recollection, they out rebounded Oregon two to one. Yeah. Uh, it it was I'm just looking at a stat sheet now while we're talking mm-hmm. forty two to twenty three. Right now, that to me, when you out rebound somebody forty two to twenty three, you, you've got a pretty good chance of winning the game. So. Right. It was a team effort um, by by Oregon State to uh, to get in there and win. I noticed, and and I was <laughs> the Alatiche follow dunk was spectacular. There's oh. no other word for oh, it. Boy. And you you and Ted were immediately asking Don McLean to weigh in. Does that is that the number one dunk of the year in the league? It didn't even make the top ten later on ESPN. I thought it should have because that was a big time oh, play, Coach. I can't believe that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Right. What did you make of that? Well, Don the likes, play. Don, Don still likes. He likes the De Silva dunk. Right. Uh, earlier in the year, kind of a one-hander flying in there, which was pretty impressive, also. But I, I just think uh, Ward's dunk uh, came at a time, mm-hmm. by the way, where Oregon State was really in a momentum swing. You know, they were kind of rolling there, and that kind of put the capper on it. I thought after that, mm-hmm. after he did that, it was. Uh, you know, they, they were in pretty good shape to win that game. Yeah, that was the – you're right. I mean, they had allowed 13-point lead. Oregon eradicated that and caught the Beavs at 34. And right. then the next thing you know, there there was a like a run in a quick flurry 
that was, in a sense, highlighted by that follow dunk, and it just felt like the Beavers brushed off the Oregon run and never never looked back and stayed in control from that point on. Yeah, and, yeah. and of course now, as you know, too, the challenge you know for the Bees now to come back after you get you know three straight wins, you're playing well now. You know, can you follow it up? Can you stay consistent throughout the year? Can you, uh, you know, can you continue to rebound well? This is a team that, that usually doesn't turn the ball over very much. You know, they, they have way more assists and turnovers, which to me is really impressive if you look at their total of, of team assists compared to, you know, how many times they turn it over. I thought they were like plus 70, which is, you know, that speaks volumes to, how you can run your offense and not make mistakes. So it'll be interesting. And, and by the way, I think Oregon's going to bounce back, you know, mm-hmm. they, they'll get all their guys back ready to roll. And the one thing about, about the Danish teams, they always play well at the end of the year, they get into February, they get their groove, they get rolling. And I know uh, they got a return game up in, uh, up in Corvallis. Mm-hmm. So that 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 should be a real good one. That should be interesting to see how uh, how Oregon can they bounce back and play well. Uh, I suspect they will at that time. Dan, you mentioned the offense and the efficiency for the Beavers, but the thing that I've I've been really impressed with over the years with Coach Tinkle is the ability to change defenses. I thought he he threw some different looks even down the stretch at Oregon. He went, you know, some man, some two, three, but he threw in some one, three, one late, I thought, coming out of a timeout. And against USC, it looked like the Trojans, even in that last 15 seconds to, to win the game, didn't get a good look. So what about uh, what a coach has to do, in your view, and you've been one, to, to in your thoughts about changing defenses rather than maybe just saying, we're going to be a man-to-man team for 40 and come after you. Yeah, it, you know, it's really personal preference. You know, there are some coaches, Mike, as you say, that that's all they'll play is man-to-man. I mean, they just will not play zone. I mean, they just absolutely 100% won't. So I think in the modern-day basketball, you know, with the so many teams, you know, shooting the three, uh, so many teams, you know, do, doing different things, you, you, you almost have to be flexible on, on, on playing different kinds of defenses. And I, I thought... Wayne, a couple. I think what he likes to do sometimes is give the appearance that mm-hmm. they're in the zone. Mm-hmm. And I saw that you know they they're right there, and it looks like they're like you said one three one or two three. But as people start rotating through, they they seem to adjust. They don't do it all the time, but it seems to me they adjust sometimes and they flip man to man. And sometimes that can be really confusing because you only have a certain amount of time to get off a good shot, you know, with with the clock and all. So I, I, I just think you have to be more flexible. And as I said, he's found something with his team. Even a guy like De'Aaron Tucker, mm-hmm. you know, he plays, I'm just, you know, I'm just looking at it. He plays 19 minutes. He's three for three from the floor, two for two from the line. <laughs> so, you know, mm-hmm. you're, you're getting more help from, uh, from others uh, than, than, than Thompson and Reichel and Lucas, you know, and, and Alatisha, who was tremendous. You can't expect him to do that every game. So uh, I just think he's, he's got bigs this year. You know, it's a different team than he had last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, when Trace was there, you know, and Kelly, it, it, they weren't, to me, they weren't a deep team. You know, they were, 
they, they, they had a certain amount of guys they could count. But this team here, I think, is much deeper, uh, more athletic, uh, quicker to the glass, uh, and possibly even takes care of the ball a little bit better. Yeah. So it, it, it's a different group, and, and, and they've adapted well. And as I said earlier, it seems to me they, they found something here. They found something with their defense, with their rotation, with their players. And, uh, and we know that, you know, a guy like Ethan Thompson and, and Alicia, they're going to have to continue to play well if, if the Bees are going to continue on and, and make a little bit of noise in the league. Final thing on the game, and then I wanted to get some last thoughts from you, Dan, about your long love affair with basketball and in the city of San Francisco <laughs> and all of the things that you've seen yeah. and experienced in your life. But just one last thing on the Beavers' next game. As you said, the challenge now, they've won three in a row. They're not going to sneak up on anybody and certainly not their next opponent in USC at Galen Center Thursday. What would you expect Coach Enfield and the Trojans to try to do? To, I mean, they just... They, they got out 8 nothing and then struggled, it seemed like, the rest of the way. What kind of game and, and adjustments would you expect from their side and what the Beavers need to be prepared for Thursday? Yeah, I, I think, you know, when you're, when you're playing USC uh, uh, with Mobley, you know, who's a, who's a load in there, you know, he's just uh, – I, I think – I really feel that coming into that game, I think reserves – your total team, you know, not, not only uh, De'Aaron, but but Andela, Kalu, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Silva for for Oregon State are our guys are going to have to play, and they're going to have to rotate them in, and and you're going to have to do a, a a good job of of, of trying to contain uh, a very talented um, a very talented USC team. So, I, again, I think the key for Oregon State is their defense. Yeah, their ability to take care of the ball at the offensive end is important, but they're going to have to find a way to not allow uh, a team like USC to hurt them inside. And, uh, and that means you know, perfect screening out, uh, doing everything you can to keep the ball in front of you, to, to look to force the other team to shoot. You know, if they're going to make a, a lot of threes, you know, tip your hat. But... Um, USC is not a prolific three-point shooting team, so it'll be a challenge uh, because the Trojans are are skilled and they're good at home. And uh, it'll be interesting for me to see how uh, even Oregon and Oregon. I think Oregon has three games in uh, in LA. How, how everybody plays when you have to go down to to play USC and UCLA. So it, it'll be a it'll be a real test. And coach, when I look at your your own the arc of your own life in the sport, the city of San Francisco, you played for the Dons and played the Beavers at Gill Con- at uh, in Portland at the Memorial I Coliseum did. in the Classic, right? I did. We we played um, we played Mel uh, uh, Counts and and Terry Baker uh, in '64 uh, when I was at San Francisco. And we had a very good team, uh, and so did they, obviously. Uh, but we played them in the Western Regionals. So that, that's my recollection. I, it would, I believe it was in, I thought of it, I thought it, now I'm trying to remember exactly where it was. I thought it was in Provo. But, yeah, no, uh, I think you're right, and I misspoke. I misspoke looking back at the record. So that was a regional game that you played in against the Beavs. That was Beavs. a regional game. On that route was a regional to, game. The Beavs went I to the Final UCLA Four. And the other, 
the other were four of us, and I think the the other two teams were UCLA and Arizona State. When Arizona State had jumping Joe Caldwell, right, and then UCLA had the great uh, Gail Goodridge, uh, and 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 uh, and that group, you know, Walt Hazard played, uh, and so yeah. In fact, I think the trivia question, uh, and I'm trying to remember exactly what happened, but I think UCLA did not. Uh, did they come out of that regional? I'm not 100. No, I think Oregon State. Oregon did not State went. Yeah, Oregon State did. Yes. And 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 UCLA's loss. I think they lost by one point in the. They had at that time. It was either third place game or we may have beaten them by one point. I'm not sure. But anyway, after that, that's when UCLA went on to win national championships after national right. championships and so many NCAA games. That was the last loss. Yeah, <laughs> hey, right yeah, wow. yeah. We did play. We did play against Oregon State. Yeah. People, people forget that Terry Baker right. was a tremendous basketball player. In mm. fact, Ted Robinson didn't know that. I mentioned that in one of the telecasts. We were talking about about the great Mel Counts. I mean, we all know how great he was. But Terry Baker was a heck of a player. I mean, he was really a good basketball player. <laughs> I'm glad so. Ted knows almost everything, so I'm glad you were able to, to share something that he <laughs> hadn't heard. <laughs> Before you go. That shows you how long I've yeah. been around. <laughs> and you've been around long enough, from what I've read and heard, to remember even as a youngster, the the back to back titles for the Dons with Bill Russell and Casey Jones. Do you do you did you follow those teams at all, or were oh, you? Oh yeah, no, no. I when I was young and uh, I, when I was a, a youngster, yeah. What what happened was that I went to uh, they they used to play. By the way, uh, the Dons did at a place called Kizar Stadium. They had no facility to play in. They had no there, there was nothing on campus for them to play during those years. That was. That was the mid-50s now. That's going way back. So as a kid, young kid, I would go to the games at Keysar Stadium, and, of course, they would pack them in and watch them play Cal in a preseason game, and then they, all of the great Santa Clara games and all, you know, all the league games. And nobody knew anything about the Dons. And nobody knew until they won 29 in a row and won the NCAA championship. You know, who are these guys? And uh, because Bill Russell was obviously the key but he was not like a super highly recruited player on a McClinus. Um So, I mean, that's a story in itself, you know. But that I did watch him, and it was it was very exciting. Now, wait a minute here. Now, I feel like you know you you share things that I mean I don't know much, but I thought I knew something about what when you say Keysar Stadium. I mean, we're out outside. I mean, what do you? No, I I misspoke. My. There was Keysar Stadium on the outside where the 49ers played. Yes. But there was Keysar Pavilion. Okay. Which, oh, which is, okay. Keysar Pavilion was, was right uh, at at the entrance before you got into Keysar Stadium. Okay. And it's still a place. Yeah, it's still a place where a lot of high school games are played. Hmm. It had a very springy floor, and it was a... It's it seated about forty five hundred people. Yeah. So oh, okay. Sorry, not no, no. I said uh, that's okay. I just was thinking. Well, I know the weather's pretty good there, but I couldn't. Well, even, <laughs> even still, <laughs> we've we, no. yeah, and we've heard a lot of uh, great venues down there, and where the the Warriors, the San Francisco Warriors, would play and the and Cow stuff. Palace. Just yeah. never right, and just never heard of Keysar Pavilion. So that's why yeah. that was. Confusing. Well, the Warriors, the Warriors might not only play the Keysar Pavilion; they played at the San Jose. Civic Auditorium. They played at the University of San Francisco. They played. I remember 
as a young guy, when I was playing for USF, we would go upstairs and there comes Oscar Robertson and the Cincinnati Royals in, and and we just sat there and watched the game. <laughs> you know, like, oh yeah, the game starts at seven. We finished our practice at, at like six. And I walked downstairs. Here's Oscar taping up, and everybody's oh, wow. taping. And at the time, you know, think twice about it. Oh yeah, Cincinnati, the Royals are here. They're going to be, mm. you know, here they are, right here next door to us. Oh, and and, and then we walk upstairs, and we got seats, and we watched the game. Through, through all of that, and Dan, we're out of time, and it's clear that we're going to need to love to explore more of these things at some other point okay. with you. But did you get to know Bill pretty well through all the years? Bill Russell, did he yeah, come back know, and be around? I did not. Okay. I did not. Okay. I did not. I did not. Um, Bill was um, uh, before me way up. You know, right. And, and I did not know him, but, you know, I'm, I'm so thankful that, you know, after we lost uh, – you know, after we lost, you know, Joe Morgan and Hank Aaron, mm-hmm. you know, all the all the guys that, you know, unfortunately, we, we there was a big article here in the paper, Mike, that we have great Bill Russell still with us, and mm-hmm. Willie Mays is still with us, which is which is you know fantastic, you know, because uh, and no, but I I didn't I I know he's um, I I saw it, not sure exactly where he's living right now, but. Uh, you know, certainly, you know, I'm happy that he's obviously still with us and, and still uh, pretty darn sharp and active. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I'm glad you, you touched on all of that with us, Dan. Uh, I, I just, you've got so many, you've so much background and history in the game. So I'm hoping, coach, that some other time we can catch up with you sure. and maybe re, re uh, explore some of these other things and get your thoughts about the all time greats in the game, like Wilt, like Bill. Bill Walton is joining us on the show tomorrow. Your thoughts about him. So I'm hoping that uh, we can pick your brain again down the road one of these days. Okay, Mike. My pleasure. Anytime. Appreciate it. Thank you, Dan. Dan Belwamini, our guest. Let's break. Kizar Stadium. He he did say stadium. So you and I were looking at each other, going, "Oh, oh, oh. yeah." And I would have just assumed he meant pavilion if I even had heard about. There was a pavilion, yes. But for a moment, I'm thinking, no, they they couldn't have been that uh, the budget and so on. And well, you guys, yeah, we'll have a basketball program. You guys got to play your games outside through the winter, (laughs) right? I mean, I was trying to picture that. Sorry about that. Good stuff from Dan Bellamini. Oh, I stuff. mean, he spans the game, does he not? Yeah. 1240 Joe Radio. For auto glass solutions, better call a glass man. Call 541-760-2277. Call the glass man. Hi, this is Jake the Glassman. Come see me at my new location at 3335 Ferry Street Southwest in Albany, or give me a call. For auto glass solutions, better call the Glassman. Call 541-760-2277. Call the Glassman. Hi, I'm former Oregon State athlete Tim Ewis, your Corvallis Edward Jones financial advisor. Financial investments are very important, but so are the investments of time, patience, and encouragement our young athletes receive from their coaches, teachers, and mentors. That's why Edward Jones is a proud sponsor of Oregon State and area high school sports. Call me, Tim Ewis, at 541-758-8245 or stop by my office in the Timber Hill Shopping Complex in Corvallis for all of your investment needs. Edward Jones, making sense of investing. Member SIPC. Go Beeves. Unified Insurance Group is your local independent insurance agency in Corvallis. 
They represent numerous insurance companies and specialize in auto, home, and business insurance. See Mike Eaves, Taylor Starr, and Tom Worth. They'll help find an insurance plan that works best for you. So if you're looking for auto, home, or business insurance, see the Unified Insurance Group. 320 Southwest 3rd Street in downtown Corvallis. They're your hometown team, always putting you first. Trace comes inside, lays it in, and counts his foul. Your tax and wealth management coaches, Paul Witzke, David Mendenhall, Bill Heck, and Robert Berry are ready to put you in the game. Perhaps you're looking to save money for your kids' college, start your retirement, or need business coaching. Tax and wealth management has what you need to execute that game plan into a victory. With 40 years in business, tax and wealth management in Corvallis has the strategy you need for tax planning and saving for your financial future. Visit taxandwealthmanagement.com or call 541-753-4185 to get in the game. We set them up, you knock them down. Island Ball, family entertainment for young and old. Clean and friendly, that's Highland Bowl. Bring your part and let the good times roll. Great food, good fun, that's Highland Bowl. We set them Corvallis. Hey, Beaver Nation, this is Mike Parker. I want to talk about my experience at the Barbers in Corvallis. Rachel at the Barbers has been cutting what hair I have for many years. Not only do I get a great haircut, but also a hot leather neck shave, a shampoo and scalp massage, a soothing neck and shoulder massage, free popcorn and soda, a TV at every station to watch all the games. Discover for yourself why over 2,000 guys a month go to the Barbers. Check them out on 9th Street in Corvallis, the Barbers, where I go and guys go for great cuts. You're fast at work doing some... Well, just doing some quick checking. The Beavers two years ago beat Oregon by 15 at Gill. At Gill, yeah. And that stands as the largest margin of victory at home for a long stretch. I I didn't look at all the numbers, but then I heard, I thought I heard Nick Daschle or Ray... Something somebody tweet or write something to the effect of that was the biggest margin of victory on the road since seventy six sixty one in the eighty two campaign nineteen eighty one eighty two elite eight year for the Beavers winning by fifteen at at uh, Mac Court would uh-huh. be the largest margin of victory that the Beavers have had on the road. Against I mean, Oregon. And since and since then, the eleven yeah. point win for the Beavs Saturday night was the largest margin since the fifteen point win down there in eighty two. Well, there was a lot of demons exercised, like snapping Oregon's twenty eight game home mm-hmm. winning streak. That was pretty cool. It was. And then the the one that T V just I I had no idea they hadn't won on an opponent's court that was a top twenty five team since nineteen eighty five. I thought there were big wins between 1985 and now. Even with not-so-great teams, I thought there were big wins on an opponent's court that was in the top 25, but there haven't been. No, no, there have not. Arizona wasn't ranked in the top 25 when Craig's team went down there and beat them? No, they were not. That was Sean Miller's first year, and they were kind of rebuilding from some untoward things that occurred in the latter part, three coaches in a year. Oh, yeah, and, you know, yeah. Radio guy being an interim coach. Yeah, and, remember that. So 
uh, Craig did win down there in the 09-10 campaign. Swept Arizona that year in Sean Miller's first year. Yeah. But it was they were not ranked. Okay, well. But that, you're right to remember that as a good and unlikely win on the road. Because I, you got to think, well, when was Arizona never in the rankings right. in the last 30 years? Right, and that was a, a stretch when they were not. Huh. Well, it was still a good win. <laughs> I remember the closest I saw the Beavers beating a very good Arizona team down there was the 0102 season, I believe. And the, Be- <laughs> the Beavers had like a 21-point lead down there in the first half, just shooting the lights out. Mm-hmm. I mean, absolutely. And then Arizona scored a couple of twos at the end. So the lead goes from 21 to 17. And <laughs> Fink and I were working the game together. And looking at each other and saying it's not enough. You know, <laughs> up 21, we were Just thinking if they could keep it corners. at 21, they could keep it at 20, 21 at the half. Yeah. Uh, then it makes it interesting longer. Yeah. But yeah. when Arizona scored four quick ones to cut it from 21 to 17, that fatalistic sense that just overwhelms all fans everywhere uh, at all I, times. Absolutely. Absolutely. Headsets come off. We go to halftime. Beavers up 17 on the Beaver Sports Network. Headsets off. Pull back. Not enough. (laughs) That's a terrible thing to think and feel, but we knew it, and the Beavers hung. The final score was 93-87. Arizona did come back and win it, though. You know these things. It's happened in football. It's just, oh, now we needed that. (laughs) Not enough. And it ends up the same thing. That's the kind of thing you want to start the second half. Four corners. Please, go four corners. Old coaching axiom we get on the University Honda text line. By the way, should we or can we go trade up? Should we take a quick one? Should we take a quick one? Yeah. Okay. Old coaching axiom. Put the game in the hands of your best player. Ask, who gives us the best chance to win? I go with the first ballot Hall of Famer. That's why it shouldn't have been that complicated for Coach LaFleur and the Packers. Who do you got? Aaron Rodgers. Do you trust? Yes. What's your best shot? And on a far lesser scale, Jonathan felt his best shot in Pullman was to try to get the first down, trust the offense, because right. the defense at Gordon and the and the Cougs were virtually unstoppable on the previous drive. So Jonathan looked and said, we win it right here. And so intellectually, right, that made sense. But going for three instead of eight yesterday didn't, according to most observers. That's right. 1240 Joe Radio. Your local Qdoba Mexican Eats plays an important role in serving our communities and will continue to provide access to freshly prepared food during this challenging time. While dining rooms are temporarily closed, all of your local Qdoba locations in Salem, Corvallis, Eugene, and throughout Oregon are ready to serve you with their same great flavors, making sure to take all safety precautions out of concern for their dedicated workers and valued customers. For quick and easy takeout ordering, call ahead to your locally owned and operated Qdoba Mexican Eats for curbside pickup. You can also use the app or order online at Qdoba.com. Hey Beaver fans, football is back. Over the past several months, we all have come together to help each other in this COVID struggle. But would you know how to help a family member or a co-worker in the time of an emergency? Hi, I'm Todd Washington, owner of CPR Works where we teach people the skills to help someone in the time of an emergency. I am currently holding both virtual and in-person classes for CPR and first aid. For more information or to schedule a class, contact me at cpr-works.com. 
Go Beavs, we're back. If your RV or trailer is sitting in storage or out in the rain this winter, let Guarantee pay you cash for your rig. Cash for campers means no more storage and no more worries. My name is Bo and I live in Cottage Grove. Cash for campers put over $10,000 in my pocket. We were waiting until summer to sell our trailer, but Guarantee gave us cash right now. Guarantee will give you $500 if we can't beat any Oregon dealer's written offer on your late model RV in good condition. My name is Jessica and I live in Springfield. Thanks to Guarantee, we no longer have a monthly storage bill, and we have more than enough money to remodel our kitchen. Trailers, fifth wheels, toy haulers, motorhomes, they all qualify for cash for campers. I'm Paul. Uh, we have been stuck at home for about nine months now. Guarantee made it really easy for us. No hassles. They came and picked up our fifth wheel at our house and delivered our check. Text RV for me to 55678 for special offers or visit Guarantee.com. That's RV, the number four, me, to 55678. Guarantee RV is here to help you put cash in your pocket. All right, a couple of minutes left here in this hour, and uh, Dave had called. He'll call back next hour and get his thoughts on the uh, the Green Bay Packers situation. I was pulling for the Bucks, but the house was divided. Uh, means you cannot stand. Did it stand? Your yeah. house stood, good, yeah. made it through the game. Okay, but extended family are big, big time Packer fans. Big time Packer fans. They weren't there, but why were you rooting for the? Uh, what was the reason um, for the? For Bucks? me, for me, it was because I wanted to see. Because we talked about this when I was eleven years old, my buddies and I. Yeah, can you believe that no Super Bowl has ever okay. hosted the right. team? Right, and it's come close. I've kind of kept an eye mm-hmm. on that over the years, just for fun. And so that that happened. Also, um, my son, when he was like a little kid, ten years old or whatever, he um, we had his his room all decked out in Buccaneer stuff. And my brother, who's like a graphic artist, came down and painted a a, a Bucks thing in the entire size of the wall, and it was exactly the way their their logo is. So there's a little history then. Matthew was into it as a little kid. Why? Um, I don't know. He just loved. He the, liked the Buccaneer the, look. He loved the look. He loved mm-hmm. the Bucks. So he had all this Tampa Bay stuff when he was a little kid, and it's just kind of fun to revisit that. Yeah, sure. Um, I never liked Tom Brady as a Patriot. Now I do. I think it's a really cool story. That this guy, he's his very first Super Bowl, Tom Brady's very first Super Bowl, Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen were in kindergarten. (laughs) We'll talk more about that and other storylines next hour. Here's the microphone. This is KEJO Corvallis. Everybody hear me? We're on in five. And QID 1240 Joe Radio. I'm Jim Chesko with Your Money Now. It's a mixed performance for stocks today. Checking the indexes, the Dow Jones Industrials are down 103 points. The NASDAQ Composite, those up 70. The S&P 500 ahead by 7. AMC Entertainment's shares are soaring 27% today. The biggest cinema chain operator in the world said it has raised $917 million in debt and equity to help it get through a coronavirus-impacted winter. However, shares of Carnival are sinking 4.5%. 
2.7%. This after the cruise operator confirmed plans to keep more of its ships docked and cancel more planned sailings through at least November. U.S. crude oil prices rose today. Crude for March delivery up 50 cents to settle at 52.77 a barrel. Nothing definitive as yet, but the Hollywood Reporter says a Harry Potter live-action TV series is in early development stages at HBO Max. Citing inside sources, today's report indicates that executives at the WarnerMedia-backed streaming service have engaged in multiple conversations with potential writers. That's your money now. 2021 is the perfect time to add a healthy new habit to your daily wellness routine. Good nasal hygiene. We all know there's bad stuff in the air allergens, bacteria, viruses, and that some of it's very dangerous. So what can you do to protect yourself? Well, you can clean your nose with Navage. Your nose is the body's air filter, and with Navage, you help your body defend itself by flushing out the crud and germs. I'm Martin Hoke, and I invented Navage, the world's only nose cleaner with powered suction. Navage is easy to use, affordable, and it has over 40,000 online reviews averaging 4.7 stars. Join millions of Navage users to relieve congestion and allergies, breathe better, sleep deeper, snore less, and feel healthier without drugs. At Navage.com, CVS, Walgreens, Bed Bath, Target, and Rite Aid. You wash your hands and brush your teeth every day. Let 2021 be the year you start cleaning your nose with Navage. N-A-V-A-G-E. Clean. Hey, Beaver Nation, this is Mike Parker. I want to talk about my experience at the Barbers in Corvallis. Rachel at the Barbers has been cutting what hair I have for many years. Not only do I get a great haircut, but also a hot leather neck shave, a shampoo and scalp massage, a soothing neck and shoulder massage, free popcorn and soda, a TV at every station to watch all the games, Discover for yourself why over 2,000 guys a month go to the Barbers. Check them out on 9th Street in Corvallis, the Barbers, where I go and guys go for great cuts. Middleton Heating has been here helping you for over 71 years, 24 hours a day. Middleton can repair, replace, or maintain all types of heating and cooling equipment. Heating unit troubling you? Need repairs or replacement? Give Middleton Heating a call. For new equipment, Middleton offers several financing options and participates in state, federal, and manufacturer incentive programs. Don't forget Middleton's custom sheet metal shop is still taking orders, large or small. You can count on Middleton for all your heating, cooling, and sheet metal needs online at middletonheating.net. Hi, I'm Matt Vaskersian with another little-known legend of sports. Basketball players are often referred to as cagers, but did you know that the nickname actually dates back to 1896 when the first professional basketball team was formed in Trenton, New Jersey? After attending an early game, a sports writer disdainfully reported, quote, the fellows play like monkeys and should be put in a cage. In response, the team's manager actually strung chicken wire around their home court. Within a few years, this cage became a standard part of a typical basketball court. Though the chicken wire was gradually replaced by rope and wire enclosures stretching as high as 20 feet in the air. The cages were actually pretty dangerous to players who frequently got rope burns and cuts chasing down loose balls. Plus, nasty fans were occasionally known to poke players through the cage with nails, knitting needles, and even lit cigarettes. So by the 1920s, the cage was so unpopular it was eliminated from the game. The nickname Cagers remains with us, however, to this day. That's another little-known legend of sports. I'm Matt Vaskersian. Orangutans. They're beautiful, playful, and majestic, and disappearing. Every day, as many as 20 orangutans vanish. They starve to death when their homes are destroyed or are killed when they stray into villages in search of food. 
International Animal Rescue is fighting for the survival of the critically endangered orangutan. But we can't do it without you. Please visit internationalanimalrescue.org and help us save orangutans before it's too late. That's internationalanimalrescue.org. Liberty Mutual Insurance Company presents... And Doug. Breathe out and repeat after me. Liberty Mutual customizes your car insurance so you only pay for what you need. Liberty Mutual customizes your car insurance so you only pay for what you need. Your bird is eating my candles. Your bird is eating my candles. No, seriously, he's making a mess. No, seriously. He's... Liberty, 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 Liberty. Get a customized quote at libertymutual.com. Joe Radio welcomes you to the Joe Beaver Show, the only show on the electric radio dealing with life's greatest questions. How are the beavers doing this season? But with sympathy for life's hierarchy of needs. Will you go to lunch? Go to lunch. Will you go to lunch? Yes, please go to lunch. Take a long lunch. And join us as we ponder life's big question. How are the beavers doing this season? Groucho is in. This is the last hat of its kind. The beavers have stopped making them. They're all out playing football. Fields, he's in. What's out of beaver's tail? And you, you're welcome in to the Joe Beaver Show, where we're not concerned with life's trifling questions. What do you know about life after death? But with visions of packed ten glory. You know how it's gonna be. And the inside scoop. Give it to me straight, Doc. So join the party. Let's make Joe famous. Sure, I'm willing. And now, here are your hosts, John. That's the word in the street, Johnny. Warren and Mike. I haven't dabbled in Kierkegaard. Parker, on the home of the Beavers, 1240 Joe Radio. Into the second hour on the Joe Beaver Show, Jamie Hudson a little bit later. One of the things I hope to hear from Jamie a little bit about coming to us from NBC Sports Northwest, providing a lot of uh, the digital content and does a great job. I've known Jamie for many years. We haven't talked to her on the show, I think, for four or five years. But hoping to talk to Jamie today about the Blazers' win last night, about the Blazers' post Nurk and CJ, and how they're making adjustments and still waiting and waiting for the long-term potential to be realized of a young man named Anthony Simons who's filling in now for CJ. And I don't know about you, John. We're going to go to Dave from Tumwater here in a moment, and we'll kick around some of the things from yesterday's championship games, the Packers-Bucks specifically. If you have any thoughts about the Chiefs-Bills, feel free to give us a call. We'll have open phones and open text lines Jamie will join us at 12.30. I want to talk to Jamie a little bit about zone defense. Uh, Terry Stotts went to a zone last night. It was somewhat effective. He's changing things up a little bit more defensively. He's getting some credit, in a sense, for it. I haven't seen enough of the Blazers to know whether you, if you're an astute enough fan, to say, well, yeah, it's okay. Does their length and athleticism with Covington and Jones make that a better defense than just staying with the usual stuff? If you have any observations on that, feel free to jump in. We'll talk to Jamie about it. But I wasn't aware, and I forgot this. I may have read it. Neil Olshay said of Anthony Simons when Anthony 
came into the league. Mm-hmm. And Damian himself even underscored it. He said, after I leave, the franchise will be built around Anthony. That's the type of hype around him. And Olshay said, the most talented player he'd ever drafted. The most physically talented tool set, gifts. Yeah. And so you put that on a kid when you get him. He didn't play college ball. You put that on somebody. It makes it tough because no matter what, a little bit like Jermaine O'Neal, who oh, blossomed yeah. after he left. Right. He sat on the bench yes. for several years, goes to Indiana, and then blossomed. So I'm wondering if it, we don't see enough of the Blazers to have a real feel for the Anthony Simons story, but are you on board with now? Stay with them, stay with them. There are enough flashes to know greatness is there. Yeah. Olshay didn't oversell them. Lillard didn't oversell him. The greatness is going to be realized soon. Maybe even this year with CJ out, he's going to get some significant run. If you have any thoughts about any of that, if you follow these things closely, feel free to share your thoughts with us. The Beavers win in the rivalry game. Your thoughts about that? And just are you kind of... With each win, three in a row, oh, okay. I mean, getting a little bit re-engaged if you weren't before and what you're seeing there. And the championship games, any observations? Mike Remmers, we hope, midweek. Bill Walton tomorrow, Harold Reynolds Friday. And our good friend who joins us uh, throughout the weeks here on the Joe Beaver Show throughout the years, Dave from Tumwater, a huge Packers fan. Dave, are you feeling as sad as Aaron Rodgers sounded after the game? Are you dealing with the loss okay? Mike, I listened to the, uh, and John, good afternoon. I listened to the um, Packers post-game show, call-in show, three-hour, mm-hmm. two-hour post-game call-in show, which shows Josh has got a, a lot of upside with the Beavers <laughs> football. Uh, but uh, I've been to funerals that were more joyous than last night's Mm -hmm. call-in show. And um, the the thing is, uh, guys, some teams never recover from certain losses. For example, a couple weeks ago when you had Alvin Adams in, or or am I thinking of uh, some other show? Uh, Anyway, (laughs) the the Rick Barry Warriors never recovered from, from that loss to the Phoenix Suns in 75-76, which is such a devastating defeat. And not only did you see two guys play themselves out of big contracts in Green Bay, Kevin King, ex-Husky, that's that's it couldn't happen to a better guy, I suppose, (laughs) and Aaron Jones. And arguably, we've seen, because of the devastating nature of this day, day we've seen, remarkably enough, the end of Aaron Rodgers' career uh, in Green Bay. Uh, uh, and I, I, I don't think I'm being uh, histrionic. I think this is actually a, a reasonably plausible turn of events. You know, in the mid-1960s, Vince Lombardi was asked one time, was there any game in which he had coached where he had learned a lifelong coaching lesson? And he said, yes, the 1960 championship game against Philadelphia, uh, early on, uh, in fact, Green Bay got two turnovers against the Eagles early in that game. And I remember it like it was yesterday. 
uh, day after Christmas, 1960. And the first time, uh, they, they were, rather than kick a field goal from about the 15-yard line, Green Bay went for it on fourth. They didn't get it. Now, that matters because the end of the game ends with Green Bay uh, uh, down by one or two points. Uh, but, uh, 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 but, they need a, uh, but they need to score a touchdown to win. I guess they're down by four. Mm-hmm. But if, they, if, he had, if Lombardi, the point is if Lombardi had kicked the field goal early, he could have won the game with a field goal late rather than have Chuck Bednarik lay on Jim Taylor for six seconds uh, as time ran out on mm-hmm. the nine-yard line. The, the analogy is this, guys. You've heard me for years talk about chasing points. That game could have been won at any number of intersections by Green Bay, but at the time, Mike, and you will recall I texted yeah. you, I've still got the time stamp. When, when, after Green Bay got down by 18 and they scored the second touchdown on their comeback, LaFleur Le, decides to go for two. That makes absolutely no sense. There's still much of the third quarter and all of the fourth right. quarter yet to place. So what plays out exactly as you said in the first hour? Rather than... I am absolutely convinced. Every instinct I have as a fan and a student of football tells me that Matt LaFleur's logic model was he not only has on fourth down, he has not only to have Rodgers get a touchdown on that play, Mm -hmm. in effect, because he needs the two-point conversion, he needs another touchdown on the ensuing play, the two-point conversion. And, And if, in fact, he had taken the one point, this is the this is the Vince Lombardi message. Take the points when they present themselves. If he had taken the one point uh, midway through mm-hmm. the third quarter, he doesn't have to go for two in that situation. <clears throat> he can uh, he can uh, and I'm I, I'm not just convinced the decision to go for the field goal was driven by the fact that yes. his, in his <laughs> mind he thinks. He's got to go for two touchdowns, right. not just one, and therefore he kicks the ball. And it was just, uh, it was just an absolute disaster. You know, I can take it when Green Bay loses, like when they got beat by San Francisco a year ago. The 49ers were a better team. I actually lived quite, quite comfortably when the Seahawks beat them mm-hmm. uh, in Seattle in 15 because I'm a Seahawks fan. Right. But this one will last a long time. And as far into the years as I am, Mike, I might never recover from this one, just as I haven't recovered from the loss in 1960 to the Philadelphia Eagles. Hey, okay, Dave, if you listened to Packers postgame and the call-in show and all of that, I assume that the host, the analyst, I don't know who handles those shows, but is anyone out there ever offering as you called it, the two-point fetish when you texted me yesterday, what, what's the deal? What's going on with more of these earlier attempts at two that we're seeing more and more? Did anyone on the Packers side of things or anyone sort of, well, no, it's okay. The analytics say, the percentages say, I mean, what, what is driving that? Because I do agree with you at the time you and I were texting each other both in hearty agreement that that was a bad choice to try to get two right there. I listened to two hours of 
post-game analysis and call-in. No one made the point. I, in fact, I called in myself. I made the very point you did because any any number of people are saying are talking about when was the game lost, the decision to kick the field goal rather than go for it on mm-hmm. fourth, the consecutive three and outs. Um, the the, uh, the, uh, the the lesson of the Vince Lombardi story is you can never anticipate the turn of events in the game, Mike. Tom Brady turned the ball over three times after Green Bay went for two rather than one in the middle of the third quarter. I mean, that just crystallizes mm-hmm. the point I'm making. Why go chase after two there when you will have, think, as, as the game ineluctably plays out, you'll have many opportunities. As Vince said after 1960, just take the points in mm-hmm. front of you, mm-hmm. let, the, let the game breathe, play it out. And so, no, to answer your question, no one brought up the point. It's a, it's a obscure little footnote in, the, in, a, in a larger uh, big game of Brady throwing three uh, picks, uh, LaFleur taking the ball out of Rodgers' mm-hmm. hand, uh, Rodgers having two three-and-outs in the fourth quarter. I mean, those are big-picture things. But I maintain, Mike, I, I, just, I just swear by this, that game turned at two points. Well, there was that when, when Brady just completely played the Packers at the end of the first yeah. half. Kevin King, I mean, what's he thinking? Right. Um, and and then the decision to go for two, uh, which informs the decision to kick a field goal. Mm-hmm. So in other words, Lafleur kicks, he doesn't kick it when he should, <laughs> and does kick it when right. he shouldn't. And it's all because of what I call this fetish over chasing the two point conversion. It's just madness. But the question then is why, though? The, it's, it was madness. I agree with you. That was much more costly than, than people are now talking about. They're not, well, take the ball out of Aaron's hands, take it out of Aaron's You're, The decision was driven by what happened when they went for two earlier and didn't get it. I totally agree with you. But again, on the bigger picture, pulling back, not just from yesterday's specifics, I don't have data in front of me. Again, it's just a feel watching games, including our own, here when going for two at times presents itself in ways that I feel like it didn't used to. The teams are going for two a little more often in odd situations, Dave. Again, that's a feel thing. It's I don't have quantified data in front of me, but do you feel the same thing or see the same thing? And again, my question is why? I, I have to. I can only surmise, Mike, that there must be some analytical tabulation, uh, and I hope they get thrown into damnation sometime. <laughs> but there has to be some tabulation that says at that point in time it makes more sense to go for two. But I will only invoke the esteemed Pat Casey, who I know I heard him on your show when he said. In an, in an analogous situation relative to baseball analytics, sometimes you just have to watch the game in front of you and not what's on the chart. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, and so that's probably, there was probably some analytic that said you go for two there, but there was just so much time left. And, and every time I see this happen, I just think they're going to they're going to regret going yeah. for two. Of course, if they make it, you're sure that's great. But it's usually a fifty fifty proposition, mm-hmm. so it's inexplicable to me. I later texted you, Mike, regarding uh, another high profile tendency in critical uh, uh, coach uh, play calling, which is going forward on fourth down. 
I completely understand the logic model behind Jonathan Smith's decision to go forward on fourth in Pullman, although, you know, I read the blogs, and, mm-hmm. the, and there, there's, a, there, there's a diversity opinion. There was no way the Oregon State defense was – they gave the ball up. You just knew Washington State was going to run the field. Uh, win the game when you have the chance right in front of you. It's the analog to the Vince Lombardi lesson. Take the points in front of you. Uh, don't overthink things. And, uh, and LaFleur just overthought the situation multiple times, including, I might add, deciding to defer to Tom Brady rather than put the ball in your guy's hands. Mm-hmm. Rodgers is a front runner. I mean, I've, I've watched all, listened to all the games. He's the football version of Steph Curry. When the Warriors are gunning well and the balls are dropping, Curry is just deadly. He just feeds off the energy. Rodgers is the football analog. Get him on, get the Packers on the board, get him rolling. Don't give Tom Brady a chance to work some magic. So hmm. LaFleur, in my estimation, his first bad decision was to defer hmm. to the second half to get mm-hmm. the kickoff, which, of course, the Packers ended up fumbling, putting them down by 18 points as it was in any event. So it was a disastrous coaching day for Green hmm. Bay, and okay. I, I just, I just it, it's going to be a long time for the franchise to recover from this. Dave, great to hear from you as always. Thank you for the call. We'll talk again later in the week. On this, yes, I looked up two-point conversion. Why? How? When? Mm -hmm. Where? Okay. A number of articles stating two-pointers. More and more teams are going for two-point. Just I haven't read the articles, Mm -hmm. but the headlines. Why you should go for the two-point more often. And then there, I just stopped on one article that was October of this year, so a little bit of the season had gone by. Mm-hmm. And this in NBCSports.com from uh, Michael David Smith, and he was writing all about the two-point conversion, just the numbers being up. At that point, the um, they were up by 13% going for two-point mm-hmm. ver- conversions over last year. And the last paragraph of his article reads this. There's no reason a team couldn't start going for two as the default decision after every touchdown, but no team has ever done that. Instead, they make kicking the extra point the default and go for a two decision based on the circumstances of the game. Coaches are making the decision to go for two more often, which is good news for the fans, he writes, as the two-point conversion remains one of the most exciting plays in football. True, true, and true, but if you're a fan of a team and you want your team to win, that's not necessarily the case. No, I mean, just because a two-point play is more exciting doesn't mean we no. want to see it. No, it's ridiculous. Yeah. We go, we cringe, we get upset yeah. over it. Yeah, I, Why are you doing this? So it, so what we're seeing is we go to Roger on the downward dog sports line. What we are seeing, more two-point attempts. But again, I'm just, they're coming in odd situations. Yesterday's was not a good decision. I just, it, people can say, why go for two? Well, two's better than one. Oh, okay. <laughs> but two's harder to get than the one. So is the three. Yeah. Roger, well, you know, the NBA people tell you otherwise. Roger, great to hear your voice. Welcome to the Joe Beaver Show. Well, baseball's not too far away, and, uh, you know, we blast a lot of uh, baseball stars that we grow up watching, and I was thinking about uh, the Hank Aaron deal, mm-hmm. and I'm not against Hank Aaron, but I'll tell you a couple negative things and then finish with a positive thing. Uh, 
Someone uh, was interviewing one time talking about all of the great plays that probably Willie Mays or someone was making in the outfield, and his comment was, well, he could do that too, but he knows how to position the players, and so he they're just routine plays for him. Mm-hmm. But on the positive thing, uh, and I don't know if this is from a catcher or the pitcher or or the umps, but that they said that uh, Henry Aaron's wrists were so quick that he could hit that ball right out of the catcher's glove. Right. You know. Right. And the last thing, I, you know, my colors about who I think was one of the better ball players of all time. But if 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 Willie Mays would have played in that little stadium in Atlanta, and if Henry Aaron would have played in Windy Candlestick Park, yeah, mm-hmm. they, they'd probably be in a different order in the all-time home run deal. Last thing, uh, I guess I wasn't seeing the fact that the, the Beavers would uh, perform so low in in the in the girls' team this year. But the league is really tough, and I thought the girls played a pretty decent game yesterday against a really good, really good ball club. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's. It tells you something about the conference when you got the talent that we have and that we're one and four or whatever we are. Yeah, but no doubt. <laughs> it's a tough league. That's all I got. Thanks, oh, Roger. One other yeah, thing. go ahead. I, I was going to call last week, and I don't remember who was playing, but uh, and then caught a ball in the end zone and made two steps, went out of the end of the end zone, fell down on the ground, and dropped the ball. And they called it incomplete, and they reviewed it, and they didn't even talk about it. And I thought, you know, a catch is not a catch anymore in the NFL. No, so. it's true. It's true. I saw. I know the play you're talking about, and the announcers did say, well, that's a good call. Because even though we see the step and step, what we do see when we see it slow down like that, Roger, in all fairness, is a slowed-down version. So it looks like he's got the ball for a long time. Ball in the uh, breadbasket, step, step, fall down, ball comes out. In real time, it that was an incomplete pass because he didn't control the catch to the ground. So I understand what you're saying. It's odd that the threshold for a running back, a running back can just get the ball across while running, yeah. have have it knock loose, or as he's falling forward across the line, the ball comes out. If he crosses the plane, they give him a touchdown. But it doesn't follow yeah. for the receiver to have the ball in possession for a moment, in fact, a moment that allows him to go one, two, ball out. There used to be before they changed that. That would have been a touchdown in years past, but no longer. And I don't understand because he he caught it, made two steps inbound, yeah. and he was clear out of bounds and hit the ground. I know. And then you know, to me, he finished the play when he was inbound. But I know. That, you know, that's that's. My bias. It so. looked like a touchdown. Okay. I agree. Thanks, Roger. A lot of stuff I, in I that think call. It's be- I think it's because the 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 advent of the HD slow mo. You can look at it on a replay and say, okay, he didn't have it, and they have to make a rule for that. Yeah. No, I he he's right. I know. I can't remember the receiver in the play. It struck me as a touchdown, but I knew once they reviewed it. It wouldn't be because step right. he got one foot, two feet down, but hit the ground the beyond the end zone, and the ball came out incomplete pass. Well, wait a second. Yes. Was he bobbling the ball during the two Not steps? Really. Not really. Then it's a touchdown. Well, it, 
it must not have been clear enough to to consider that. I mean, they called that an incomplete pass, and I, I wish I could remember the circumstance. I know the play he's talking about, but too many plays over the weekend, John, to remember exactly that. The play exactly he's talking that. about, in your memory, do you argue with it? I, I remember thinking, boy, that's close. That's not an easy call, but the announcers, I thought it was Troy Aikman. I said, no, that's a good call. I disagree with that call when it comes up. We'll take a break. Uh, you may get an answer off the air on this one about the play we're talking about. We'll come back with Jamie Hudson on the Blazers next, 1240 Joe Radio. Did you know that the Natty Dresser is the area's premier suit and tuxedo provider? We have a nice selection of suits in stock from Hart Schaffner Marks and Baroni Couture. We are also the area's expert tuxedo and suit rental shop. We can fit guys from 5T to size 60 long. Weddings, proms, and business interviews. We are here for all the important moments of your life. The Natty Dresser, purveyors of quality menswear, open Monday through Saturday at our new location on the corner of 2nd and Broad Alban in the heart of historic downtown Albany. Hi, I'm former Oregon State athlete Tim Ewis, your Corvallis Edward Jones financial advisor. Financial investments are very important, but so are the investments of time, patience, and encouragement our young athletes receive from their coaches, teachers, and mentors. That's why Edward Jones is a proud sponsor of Oregon State and area high school sports. Call me, Tim Ewis, at 541-758-8245 or stop by my office in the Timber Hill Shopping Complex in Corvallis for all of your investment needs. Edward Jones, making sense of investing. Member SIPC. Go Beavs. Trump's Hobbies has been serving the area since 1972 and is a proud supporter of schools, clubs, and groups throughout the Mid-Valley. Trump says the area's largest selection of radio-controlled cars, boats, airplanes, and helicopters, plus drones, plastic models, model trains, fantasy games, collector cards, and modeling tools, parts, paints, and supplies. Whether you're an experienced modeler or just starting out, Trump's is there to help. Build it, drive it, fly it. Trump's Hobbies in the Timber Hill Shopping Center in Corvallis, bringing enjoyment to life. Woodstock's Pizza on Kings Boulevard in Corvallis really is pizza for all. Whether you're thinking meat mania, vegan victory, vegetarian virtuousness, or whatever you want to name your pizza, Woodstock's Pizza has it. They have over 35 fresh toppings to choose from, four different crust options, including cauliflower and gluten-free, and cheese choices that include vegan and dairy-free. Woodstock's Pizza on Kings Boulevard in Corvallis really is pizza for all. Woodstock's Pizza on Kings Boulevard in Corvallis. Hi, this is Mike and Anderson Jewelers reminding you the gold and silver market is still strong, so I'm still buying old gold jewelry and watches. Right now I'm paying cash for 10, 14, and 18 karat gold jewelry, sterling silver, antique and estate jewelry, and of course Rolex and Omega wristwatches. Anderson Jewelers is a licensed and certified business buying old gold and silver in the city of Corvallis for 25 years. Need some extra cash? Stop by and see Mike today. Anderson Jewelers, near the corner of 5th and Madison, downtown Corvallis. Angry Beaver Grill is open for covered and heated outdoor dining as well as dinner-to-go orders Tuesday through Sunday. Get the favorites including Angry Beaver's Reuben and French Dip Sandwiches, Burgers, Tacos, and the Gables Recipe Chicken Bisque Soup and Garlic Croutons. And don't miss Angry Beaver's Friday and Saturday night famous Gables Smoked Ribeye Steak Dinner Special. Angry Beaver Grill open Tuesday through Sunday from 3 p.m. to 9 p.m. for covered and heated outdoor dining in the back of the restaurant. And for carryout on 4th Street in downtown Corvallis, Angry Beaver Thank you for your support. 
If your RV or trailer is sitting in storage or out in the rain this winter, let Guarantee pay you cash for your rig. Cash for campers means no more storage and no more worries. My name is Bo and I live in Cottage Grove. Cash for campers put over $10,000 in my pocket. We were waiting until summer to sell our trailer, but Guarantee gave us cash right now. Guarantee will give you $500 if we can't beat any Oregon dealer's written offer on your late model RV in good condition. My name is Jessica and I live in Springfield. Thanks to Guarantee, we no longer have a monthly storage bill and we have more than enough money to remodel our kitchen. Trailers, fifth wheels, toy haulers, motorhomes, they all qualify for cash for campers. I'm Paul. Uh, We've been stuck at home for about nine months now. Guarantee made it really easy for us. No hassles. They came and picked up our fifth wheel at our house and delivered our check. Text RV for me to 55678 for special offers or visit Guarantee.com. That's RV, the number four, me, to 55678. Guarantee RV is here to help you put cash in your pocket. The Joe Beaver Show continues. Mike Parker, John Warren. We don't talk about the Blazers a great deal. We certainly don't avoid talking Blazers. This is the Joe Beaver Show, and we visit about the Blazers fairly often, I'd say, John. They're part of our footprint. We carry the games on our sister station, News Radio 1340, Clue AM. Most of us grew up in this area Mm -hmm. following the Blazers. Bill Walton, one of the greatest Blazers of all, joins us tomorrow at 12.05 to talk about his career in the game, the Beavers' recent win over USC. Who knows with Bill what will all come up. Maybe his favorite river. Yeah. The Solettes. I would, you know, he may really love that. I'm not sure. We'll talk to Bill tomorrow about it. But after kind of following loosely this Blazer season and knowing some of the sad notes and stories that have hit with the loss to injury to Zach Collins again to Yusuf Nurkic to C.J. McCollum. The Blazers become very intriguing to see how they'll weather all of that, whether they can get the guys back for the last 20 games or so of the regular season, we'll see. But they're out for an extended period of time. And in following the Blazers last night, and often I enjoy the work of Jamie Hudson, our next guest, NBC Sports Northwest. She's been with uh, that media outlet for eight years and covering the Blazers for the last three, and our paths have crossed off and on through the years. It's always a pleasure to visit with Jamie, whose game story last night was very interesting. You can read it at NBCSportsNorthwest.com about Anthony Simons and his contribution to the Blazers' win over the Knicks last night. Jamie, thanks for taking time for us. Nice to have you on with us again. How are you? Hey, Mike. I'm doing good. How about you? Well, doing okay, and really enjoying your work. I hope you are, too. Tell us just before we even get into some specifics, how much fun you're having. I hope it is anyway, even as challenging as it can be to be doing what you're doing, to be covering the the Portland Trailblazers for for NBC Sports Northwest. Oh, thanks, Mike. I am enjoying it. And this season, you know, as the games go on, I was thinking I might get used to not having fans in attendance, but I got to tell you, Mike, you you never get used to it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just such a different atmosphere. You got to give props though to the Trailblazers organization because they have done 
a really good job with what they have, right? And and piping in the crowd noise and still making it an enjoyable and entertaining and fun game. But without that vibe and that energy from the fans, oh, it is it is just not the same. Jay- uh, that is for sure. Yeah, Jamie, do you have any sense of comparison? I mean, when you talk about the Blazers have done a great job, it sounds like it in what I tune into games, but can you compare, do you get enough feel if you're not able to go to games on the road at all, how the Blazers game experience in the era of cutouts and no fans might compare with, with what's happening with other franchises? Yeah, it's, it, it is very similar. I think Mike and yeah, I'm not traveling this season. Um, so I haven't been able to see exactly what other arenas are doing. I know, you know, you go to, if you go to Staples center and, you watch their um, their broadcast. They've got a lot more video boards um, displayed around the arena. And Staples Center is unique in the way they light that arena. You can really dim the lighting so you don't even see um, any of the audience. So that I think that helps the players almost realize, oh, wait, maybe, maybe there are fans here or whatever. So, um, But I think the, the Blazers have done such a good job with being able to still have that feeling of the fans are there because their PA announcer, Mark Mason, he still will say, all right, six man, let's hear it for your Blazers defense. Right. So it's, it's still similar in that way. And then the media members are looking around thinking, what is that us? Like, what should we be? No, but uh, no, uh, as different as it is, I think uh, they're still doing such a great job. You mentioned, Jamie, I think it was a tweet from you about speaking to Mark Mason, who does such a tremendous job as the Blazers PA guy. Was it you or somebody tweeted how how he introduced Damien last night? It was me, yes. Okay. He introduced him, uh, Daddy Dame, Damien Lillard. <laughs> and I thought that was pretty great as Dame welcomed in twins this past week, which really, Mike, worked out well since the Blazers had two postponed games. I mean, the team never wants to have any games postponed, but then Damian Lillard's fiance had her twins, or had their twins, so um, the timing worked out pretty well. Did Damian allow, you know, he he's pretty good, isn't he, in allowing people in, reporters and so on, mm-hmm. in to talk about some of these things? Did he let you ask about how everything went, how the Twins were doing? Did he open up on that a little bit, on that? He did, yes. Mm-hmm. After the win last night, he discussed how he's the happiest he's ever been in his life now that he's added another son and now a daughter to um, his family. And he mentioned that since Wednesday, he has actually been in the hospital, and he's been sleeping in a hospital bed. So think about that. For a guy to go from sleeping in a hospital bed, and you know he's not getting much sleep, and then go and drop 39 points against the Knicks, uh, that that just speaks to what Damian Lillard is all about and what he's able to do. Um, but you can tell that by bringing in the twins into the world, his happiness level is, is really high, and that only, I think, elevates his game when he's having um, such a good, good life off the court, then it kind of translates to on the court. 
Mm-hmm. Jamie Hudson joining us on the Joe Beaver Show. John Warren with Mike Parker. Jamie, I did uh, a couple of fill-in games on the radio coverage of Blazers basketball about 14 years ago uh, for Jay Allen. And one of my duties was to go down and uh, in between quarters and stand behind the bench and report back on what the coach said. Of course, you couldn't really hear much. And, and it was odd because you're standing there and the one time he looks up and we locked eyes and he's like, well, who are you and why are you standing there? <laughs> so my question is with this new fangled, no fans deal, do they keep the sound pipe during timeouts? And if not, can you, I mean, you can literally hear everything, couldn't you, if you're standing anywhere near the huddle? They keep the sound up during during timeouts, that's, <laughs> that's for sure, which is unfortunate because I would definitely like to, like to hear the huddle a lot more than, we, than we're able to. Um, but, yes, you definitely can hear the players a lot more, and you can hear the conversations they have with the officials. And, um, you know, not all of them, but there's a few where you're, you're able to, to hear what, what they're trying to get across to the ref. Um, so that's been um, really interesting. And so as far as what you're able to hear, the timeouts, they really make sure that they're piping in the music or they will have features on the Jumbotron mm-hmm. still with um, Trailblazers sideline reporter Brooke Goldendam interviewing players. So they still really have that similar feel um, during, during timeout. As a, as a reporter, as a media member following this team, would you say that that there's a little more of an edge to Coach Terry Stotts this year than ever before? Each morning when I do my morning show down here as an affiliate of the Blazers, I, I, I take and download all the interview stuff and listen to the question and then the answer, and it just seems like Terry is is taking guys on, taking people on more <laughs> often than ever before. Would you agree with that since You've been there for quite some time consistently or, or or not. I would agree with that, yes. And I think this season heading into this year, after having such a good off season and bringing in the defensive uh, personnel that they brought in, whether it's Robert Covington, Derek Jones Jr., there were high expectations. And I think for Coach Stotts, he has high expectations of this group. And I know that Damian Lillard has – talked about it many times, that the mentality for this Trailblazers organization is win now. So if you want to have that mentality and you're, you're trying to fall through with that, you have to have that edge. And um, I think Coach Stotts has, has brought that. And I agree, he's, he's been uh, fiery at times in post-game interviews with some reporters. And, I mean, I'm all for it. The, bring it like, that's great for Terry to bring that, that attitude and I think a lot of fans like it, too, because they've seen the Terry Stotts where he's such a good players coach, and now they can see that he, he is still that coach that has such great relationships with players and media members, but he also has that edge. Jamie Hudson, NBC Sports Northwest Blazer reporter, joining us on the Joe Beaver Show. I reference your specific story from the immediate uh, event, last night's game, and you focused on Anthony Simons. Tell us a little bit, uh, Jamie, and for people who want to read your stuff and the quotes about him and video highlights, it's all there. 
at NBCSportsNorthwest.com and on your Twitter handle. But what was your uh, interest in writing about uh, Anthony specifically after last night's game? Well, since Anthony came into the league, this is third year. Mike, I've been following. I was down in Las Vegas his rookie season for the Summer League. And at Summer League, I thought, wow, this guy has so much athleticism, so much raw talent, and he's so gifted. I mean, he can shoot the lights out. He can dunk with the best of them. But you could tell, and especially when talking with him, he has obviously this, this shyness to him. He's, he's very quiet. So I was a little concerned about how his mentality was going to be on the court. I mean, as far as confidence goes and just translating the game from going to the pro level, it's very different for young players. And so watching him grow over these last few years has been really interesting to me. And, and it's been great to get to know Anthony because as a quiet person myself, I, I relate to Simon, but you know, even though he's so different off the court, I really think he can be that more dominant, confident player. Uh, and I think we're going to start to see it now that he has that opportunity. He's going to get extended consistent minutes with C.J. McCollum out for at least a month. And so I think this will be Simon's time to shine, really. And I know he's, he's been overshadowed because of Gary Trent Jr.'s success last season. Mm-hmm. You know, Trent Jr. came in, and he made the most of his opportunity last year when the Blazers were dealing with injuries. So now I do look at it as, okay, this could be Simon's time, just as it was Gary's time last year. And Coach Stott said, and you quote him in your story, and by the way, you can follow Jamie on uh, Twitter at Jamie, capital J, Hudson, capital H, and then uh, capitals NBCS, at Jamie Hudson, NBCS. In your story uh, on that site and via Twitter, you quote Coach Stotts as saying that not only, you know, we we look at Anthony's offensive numbers, six of nine from the field, four of six from deep, 16 points, second leading scorer to Damian with his 39, but... Stott said he liked what he saw defensively, too. I'm just wondering if, you know, with the Blazers' quest to improve defensively, whether Anthony can be part of that. If, well, Anthony has talked about it since last season, actually, that that was one of his main um, focuses because he knows that he's pretty inconsistent on that end of the floor. And I think for Anthony as well, watching what Gary Trent Jr. was able to do, right? So we know Gary is that bulldog type mm-hmm. player on the defensive end. I think that really showed Simon, hey, that's how I can stay on the floor, right? That's how I continue mm-hmm. to get minutes if I'm bringing that defensive effort all the time. Um, and I know for Gary, he talked about how really for him – it wasn't just all the, about the effort, but it was doing his homework. So he was making sure that he knew the scouting report on any opponent that he was going to defend. He wanted to make sure he knew that opponent's tendencies, if they like to go left, if they like to, to drive and kick, whatever it was, 
he made sure he was doing his research on them, and that really helped improve his defense. Um, and I know Gary and Ant are very close, so you gotta you got to think that they talk about this. And so we'll see how Anthony um, can continue to improve on the defensive end. Jamie, the final thing, and it's on the defensive end, and that is this. I've, I've been reading coming out of last night's game. I've talked to a couple of people. The Blazers played a little more zone last night than they have. How often do you see that? Uh, how comfortable is Coach Stotts when, in picking and choosing spots to play zone with the with the length and athleticism of Covington and Jones and others? Is that a, are you getting a sense from just amongst your peers and people that follow the team believe that that could be a good thing for the Blazers to do more of? Yes, especially right now, Mike. With Nurkage out and mm-hmm. McCall now. It sounds like they are going to be sprinkling in um, more zone, whether that's a 1 2 2 or 2 3. And last night against the Knicks, it really threw off New York because you don't see zone all that often, mm-hmm. obviously, in the league. And with Coach Stotts, he has sprinkled in zone defenses here and there, maybe um, out of inbound play, but Last night, uh, we saw it quite a bit. And honestly, being in the arena last night, the Blazers, that was the loudest I've ever heard them communicate on the defensive end, mm-hmm. whether it was Carmelo Anthony telling Ennis, hey, you got a cutter coming left, mm-hmm. or hey, watch the screen. I mean, they were that was the loudest and most talkative, honestly, I've, I've heard them this season. So, And it was when they were in zone, mm-hmm. you have to communicate a lot when you're playing zone. So, um, yeah, I could see this um, continuing for the Blazers, at least for the uh, immediate future. you got a game tonight, don't you? Am I reading that right, Oklahoma City? Yes, that's okay. correct. Yep, okay. second night of back-to-back. Well, have a great time following it, covering it. We'll look forward to your work as always. Jamie, it's nice to connect with you again. It's been a few years, so it's nice to talk to you again and hope we can do it uh, a little more often here the rest of the way. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Congratulations on all the success you're having in your career. Jamie Hudson joining us. I'm not sure. Uh, I think we may have lost her there at the end. But, uh, again, you can follow her at Jamie Hudson NBCS. We go to break. Open phones and text lines down the stretch. Roger mentioned many things in his great call a few minutes ago on the Downward Dog Sports Line. Aaron's wrists, Aaron's ballpark, Aaron saying, I play the positions. I, I study hitters' tendencies so I don't have to make and run and make the spectacular catches. <laughs> All very interesting stuff. And he also weighed in on the women's basketball game. Did you listen? Did you watch the stream? Do you have some sense of Talia's game now? And as disappointing as that loss was and kind of a, a, a gut-punching loss to lose in double overtime – you feel like, okay, yeah, I mean, it's just this year is kind of what it is, but you felt like they got better, they're improving, they're showing air. Any particular area you look at and say they got to shore up a little bit, sounded like off the ability for the Cougs to get second chances and offensive rebounds was part of the reason the, the Beavs ended up losing rather than winning. But did you like a lot of the things that you saw from this team and 
the impact that you expect Talia to have not only the rest of the way this year, but throughout her career, if you watched the stream yesterday. Any thoughts? 497-5356, 497-5356, Joe Radio. All right. Um, Coach, I've got a question. Go for Did you put your hand up? Did you put your raise your hand up? You know, Terry, I, I pressed the raise your hand button, but I don't think it's working. Okay, whatever. The Peacock Bar and Grill is closed again for indoor dining, but the Peacock's entire breakfast, lunch, and dinner menu, including their daily $6 specials, are available to eat outside in their covered patio area. You can also pick it up curbside or have it delivered to your home or office by Munchies, Uber Eats, DoorDash, and Grubhub. Call 541-754-8522. That's 754-8522 and get it to go. The Peacock Bar and Grill, a Corvallis tradition since 1929 on 2nd street downtown don't let concerns about today's events derail your long-term financial strategy hi i'm edward jones financial advisor sam nestline and i'm here to help we can work together to understand the impact of these events and make sure your goals are top of mind while you can't control market volatility we'll focus on what you can control we can connect in several virtual ways start by giving me sam nestline a call at 541 753-4665. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Trump's Hobbies has been serving the area since 1972 and is a proud supporter of schools, clubs, and groups throughout the Mid-Valley. Trump's has the area's largest selection of radio-controlled cars, boats, airplanes, and helicopters, plus drones, plastic models, model trains, fantasy games, collector cards, and modeling tools, parts, paints, and supplies. Whether you're an experienced modeler or just starting out, Trump's is there to help. Build it. Drive it. Fly it. Trump's Hobbies in the Timberhill Shopping Center in Corvallis, bringing enjoyment to life. Locally owned and operated for over 30 years, Corvallis Floor Covering would like to thank their many friends and customers for your continued support and looks forward to working with you on your next remodeling project. Stop by and see Wendy, Robin, or Brian and check out their large showroom with a wide variety of carpet, vinyl, laminate, tile, wood floorings, and window coverings from all the popular brands. Corvallis Floor Covering is at the corner of 2nd and Van Buren downtown or log on to CorvallisFloorCovering.com. Shop local, shop Corvallis Floor Covering, and go Beavs! Hey Beaver fans, football is back. Over the past several months, we all have come together to help each other in this COVID struggle. But would you know how to help a family member or a co-worker in the time of an emergency? Hi, I'm Todd Washington, owner of CPR Works, where we teach people the skills to help someone in the time of an emergency. I am currently holding both virtual and in-person classes for CPR and first aid. For more information or to schedule a class, contact me at CPR-Works.com. Go Beavs! We're back! Your local Qdoba Mexican Eats plays an important role in serving our communities and will continue to provide access to freshly prepared food during this challenging time. While dining rooms are temporarily closed, all of your local Qdoba locations in Salem, Corvallis, Eugene, and throughout Oregon are ready to serve you with their same great flavors, making sure to take all safety precautions out of concern for their dedicated workers and valued customers. For quick and easy takeout ordering, call ahead to your locally owned and operated Qdoba Mexican Eats for curbside pickup. You can also use the app or order online at Qdoba.com. Would you agree that all in all, the season for the NFL, having played, by the way, on every day of the week this year, was a success? Yes. 
I would too. Yes, I, I would. I, I I think that they had to deal with COVID just as everybody else, and they did. They got through it, and here we are. And it was a, a good example of, you know, making it happen and um, and getting the games in and doing a good job. Um, individual uh, stadiums with fans letting back in, and I thought that was a great touch in these last couple of weeks of playoff games. And now at Raymond James, they'll allow 22,000. Is that what it's going to be? Yeah, and I don't know how many were were technically a part of some of these games this last weekend, but it sure looked good. It really did look good, and it sounded good, and, and it was kind of a slow a slow march back to normalcy. And uh, I don't think it was 22,000. So 22,000 spread throughout Raymond James could be a good uh, a good atmosphere. I thought I heard the number 17 thrown around the Kansas City game last night, that oh, there yeah. were 17. Okay, good. Then five more yeah, will be so even better. If it, and we're pretty sure we're going to visit with Mike Remmers probably Wednesday. Oh, that'll be great. But maybe he, I'm hoping that he can tell us, yeah, and yeah. my family's coming, or I've got, we've all got this many tickets mm-hmm. to be able to invite mm-hmm. people in. Whether people choose to travel or not, there could be people that could actually We've got Super Bowl tickets for you. Yeah, I'd rather, you know, I'll just sit I'll this one lot, out. A lot of yeah. people would, especially sure. since you can, you know, watch it on TV. But here's a, an interesting thing. the Some of the things about the Super Bowl that have grown to be cliche, like, oh, how much are the tickets to see the mm-hmm. Super Bowl? How much for a commercial ad? Right. Yeah, we, we, we go through those every year, and it's just, oh, my goodness. But it's the same thing over and over again. I think they some of them take on a little heightened meaning this year because of COVID. And like, for example, I, you know, I had a bit this morning that about ticket prices, the worst seat in the house, $8,000 and the best seat in the house, $17,000 for this year's game. Yes. Wow. And, and it's because there's only 22 allowed yeah, in a 60,000 right, seat right, stadium. Right, okay. And, and the value of, of that, yeah. um, they're giving away some tickets to health care workers and all that, but, but, you know, it's, it's going to be different. And I was wondering, too, if without a full stadium, will they still have four hours of fanfare and shows on the field and, and flyovers and all the all the mm-hmm. pageantry that I they I would do? imagine they will. Okay. Yeah, I, I, don't, so. I don't know much about that part of it yet. For a TV audience, they should. Yeah. Still always a TV phenomenon, no matter how yeah. many, if any, right. are in the stadium right. at all. One thing Jamie mentioned that was interesting to me was remembering games. Did the Coliseum do this, John? I'm trying to remember. I feel like they did, but then they went away from it. And that is, she talked about at Staples Center, the lights dimming. Uh Uh When I would go to games at the Forum as a kid with my dad, I remember that sense of theater involved, that the lights would dim. And they did at the Coliseum. And the Coliseum did too, but they don't at Moda, do they? I don't think they do, as a matter of fact. They may have some that do. But the Coliseum did. Now, it didn't completely darken things like right. she was describing Staples Center. But I do remember being at many games Where the lights over the would dim at the MC. Where, at the very least, they'd come on when the game was over. Right. Now, that much I remember. There was a sudden brightness. Yes. Yeah. Like, oh, okay. Especially yeah. in the upper reaches. Right. The, the lights would be, it would be very dark in the upper reaches. It's a good question about Motor Because I don't, I don't, I feel as though... Yeah, it's all you got. Yeah, all I got. You got to feel. For, I feel as though in Moda, 
you don't get that same effect that I remember in the MC and that I certainly felt even more pronounced in the forum, the lights dimming and that sense of theater. Yeah, no, they had that. In fact, to this day, the Coliseum, Portland Memorial Mm -hmm. Coliseum is my favorite. Yeah, it's a great venue. Some uh, texts on the University Honda text line. Picard, with Larry Scott's departure, has there been any announcement about TV deals, increased quality of officiating, and unification among the top five conferences? Well, not yet. I I think we need to wait, Richard. These are all great questions. I'm hearing from Jen Cohen's name is coming up quite a bit now with the possibility of being Larry Scott's successor, the AD at the University of Washington. But I'm sure all of those subjects Richard just raised will be addressed most seriously by the new leader in the conference. And love him or hate him. Kinzano had a good article about the group and what they're looking for. And and he actually had an article where he was on a phone call with members of the chancellor slash president group that will choose the next successor. And it doesn't go into the details, Richard, that you're talking about, but it does go into some detail. Another text on the University Honda text line, the real Beaver fans all rooted for Tampa Bay yesterday because we'd never root for a team in green and yellow. Okay, that that, that can be challenged. Those if, are principles, uh, you though. Know, like Barnett was still playing. Or yeah, no, I got you. That's a Beavers. principled uh, text. Yeah. Josh Warden texts, this stat may rankle you about Anthony. He's made 21 threes this year and just five two-pointers. <laughs> he shoots a better percentage from three. Good for him, 37%. His two-point attempts, 31%. Good. Good for him. That's good. Just because he doesn't shoot enough two-pointers to know how it feels. So. <laughs> now, I, I just, I just, yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. Dear Beaver, Joe Beaver Show from Doug from Salem. Yesterday was huge. I'm not sure how uh, this may be dated. Thursday, oh yeah, yeah, Thursday, January 21st. But today, today he texts and says, uh, if the Beavers punt in Pullman, we go to a bowl game. We've not been to a bowl game in a long, long time. Have been following the surf in Hawaii, he writes. The surfers have been surfing 40-foot waves, including a 12-year-old at Jaws. Doug from Salem. Doug, always appreciate the correspondence. But isn't it interesting? Here are two great lovers of Oregon State football. Uh-huh. Dave from Tumwater. Doug from Salem. Dave says he totally understands why Jonathan went for it on that fourth down play rather than punting. But you agree with Doug that he should have punted. But Dave's point was it was clear the Beaver defense was not going to be able to stop Washington State. Whether the drive began 25 yards back or not, Jonathan's look was we got to win the game right now because if we give the ball up, we're not going to. Correct. But you still think he should have punted? Yes. Okay, why then? If you say correct, if you felt like the I'm lot, just trying to get out of this, so the optics he are doesn't hear over in the football thing. Well, no, Tim Tebasar or whatever, or Jonathan. No, no, no. I, I, he he made a decision that's very 
that's open to debate. It's a de- it's not a ridiculous decision one way or the other. Uh-huh. I mean, I I don't think anybody could look at that decision. Oh, what a terrible. He should have punted. That cost the Beavers the game. Anybody looking at that decision in time, in the, at the time that right. it occurred, right. and even when you reflect on it afterwards, that's not an easy call. That's a tough decision that has to be made right now. And he thought, I can win the game right here with Jake Luton throwing a completed pass. I'd have to look back at the details of it. I, I can see it in my mind's eye. I'd like to see yeah. how much time was left. Yeah. Uh, more of the scenario, but I still would like to say you, a long field position for an offense to work. I know. I know. And, and and for your defense to be able to come up with a big play, a turnover, right. there's so many different things that can happen. And the Beavers had gotten, I think they intercepted three passes that right. night, so right. you, you felt like, okay, right. you give them a longer field, there's a chance, more chance and for I, things to go wrong for the Cougars offense. I don't offense. remember, but I, I don't think I like the play call as well. On the yeah, it was an incomplete pass for Tegan, a little bit high, may, may have been able to be pulled in. Oh, it still hurts, doesn't it? Yeah. Anyway, we'll see you tomorrow with Bill Walton. Roll tape, please. Here's the microphone. Is this thing on? This is KEJO Corvallis. Everybody hear me? We're on in five. And QID. 1240 Joe Radio.